Welcome to Downton. Hello there. Emma speaking. Welcome to Shall We Go Through, the Downton Abbey fan podcast. What? 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 Hi, everyone. I'm so, so excited to be back. Like, I missed you, <laughs> truly. Like, it's been a while now. I hope you're all doing well. And first, I want to say thank you for your patience because, well, now it's been weeks. I needed that rest. So, thank you for your patience. But now I'm back and I'm excited to go through season four and five and six with you. But season four, I'm not gonna lie, season four is not my favorite. It's probably my least favorite of all the seasons of Downton because. There's a lot of things that I don't like in this season, but we are going to talk about it because that's the point of this podcast, literally. But yeah, I hope you are doing well and that you are excited to continue our journey through Downton with me. I'm not going to make a longer introduction because, well, you know me, I love to talk and because I've missed this so much, I might talk like a lot. <laughs> so today we are going to start season four and the first episode i called it the one where they choose life it's a bit of a like deep episode to be honest like like i remember the first time i watched downton after season three like i was completely broken and i couldn't like i couldn't go back like i couldn't just start right away now i, I can because you know what i've seen the show multiple times and i know um, what's going to happen but like Every time I start season four, like, I feel a bit heartbroken, truly. And it's, it's funny because Sybil's death, like, destroyed me more. Maybe it's, bec it's because we saw it, like, the episode was so moving and so well made. So Sybil's death, like, really, <laughs> still now, it breaks my heart into a million pieces. But Matthew's death is not, like, the death that makes me sad. It's more like I miss him more, weirdly. Because I love Sybil, but I love Tom. Well, I love him better now that Sybil is gone. I already told you that. But Matthew, I loved Mary when Matthew was here. And Matthew, I think it's sad in a way that Matthew was such a nice character. He was a friend to everybody. It's a bit like Sybil. Everybody loved him. Well, maybe not at first, but in the end, everyone loved him. And I have to say, I loved Mary when Matthew was here. And yeah. But anyway, yeah, I said I'm not going to make a long introduction. It's already <laughs> too long. But yeah, I, I quite miss Matthew, I'm not going to lie. Especially now that I've seen like the show multiple times, I realized that. Yeah, I quite miss him. But yeah, let's just start, shall we? So this episode is actually set six months after the last one. So after the Christmas special, that was not set at Christmas because we're in February 1922. Um, So literally like... A hundred years ago, like, whoa. I'm going to keep the biggest storylines for the end. So the most heartbreaking ones. <laughs> and I'm going to start with this with smaller ones. And I decided to start with Edith because, yeah, she deserved a bit of recognition. Edith, still with Michael Gregson. Michael Gregson, who is married and can't divorce his wife. Well, for now. Because in this episode, she says that she's going to London to meet Mr. Gregson because... Michael Gregson wants to introduce her to some of his literary friends. And I just love it when she says that in the library and Cora and Rose and Robert are here. And Cora, she tries to stay positive, to be friendly because she realized, I mean, 
she realized that Edith really loves him and I don't know if they know that he's married. I don't think so. So, okay, the guy is an editor, but like Edith, <laughs> you know, she was duty at the altar. Like there's this guy that seems nice and that Edith likes and he likes her. So she's like, okay, good for you, girl. You know, I mean, after I think after losing Sibyl and, and, you know, all that, she's like, you know, you love him, you go. He seems nice and all that. So she tries, you know, to stay positive and say oh he must have missed you you know so it's nice th that you go and see him and she tries to you know like to send her good vibes to robert but robert is like because it's robert you know and i think he just doesn't like him because he's an, an editor but like i mean the guy is really interesting to your daughter your daughter that was judged at the altar the guy seems nice why like you know he doesn't make an effort you know <laughs> that's Robert that's the problem like yeah but anyway um so Edith arrives in London and surprise Gregson waits for her at the station and so well he says that he's got news he talks about uh, the fact that not not every country is like England and that some countries in some countries you can actually divorce your wife if she's is an asylum like he's insane but he says that and so um and you see that she is quite torn because she loves him you know but at the same time she realizes that there's it's coming a happy end you know right now for the two of them so then they're at the party and i love her style like her style is just you know like it feels like now well, especially when she is in london right now because um she's not with her family so she's only she's just edith who writes for a newspaper so i really do love her style like it feels like it feels like she has found her style, and I love it because she has like um like a headscarf, and I love this style. And so again, okay, they talk about being together, and just you no know, so living in sin, which is exactly what it is. But he still says that he's going to divorce his wife, but he hasn't really said how he's going to do it. But Edith style, like it's a bit like you know she is asserting herself, like this uh, with this style. There's something a bit about it. I just love it. But so then. She has dinner with him at the Criterion. And oh my God, the dress. I mean, I have to say, it's a bit scandalous. Like maybe not in London in 1922. But if her parents, if her grandmother had seen this dress, oh my God. Like the dress has no sleeves. Like, or it's just beautiful. And she has like, the dress is cut onto like the left leg, but, like really high like oh my god i mean if robert was shocked by sybil's trousers this and it's quite funny because the dress makes me think about sybil's trousers because the color is a bit the same and um and the how do you say like bustier um it's it makes me think about it, like the color and the vibe and the fact that it is new like it's the new fashion and everything i just love i mean edith style is just gonna get better to be honest but i just love when she arrived and she said i thought i make a bit of an effort like <laughs> when i make a bit of an effort i do not dress like that like yeah okay but so then gregson so he tells her his plan and his plan is to become a german citizen because in Germany, you can divorce your spouse or insanity. And so he says, if I become a German citizen, then I will be able to divorce my wife. And this is very, very brave or very stupid or both. Because like Edith says, the country has been through a war 
uh, four years of war against Germany. So, well, people do not really like Germany and German people um, at that moment. And he's like, yeah, but I love you and I want to marry you. So I am going to become a German citizen so I can divorce my wife so we can marry. Like this is, I mean, the guy, the guy loves her. Like, yeah. I don't know why. When I heard that, you know, the first time I watched uh, Down, I was like, this doesn't sound good. Because obviously, well, you know, you know history or maybe you don't. But like the 20s, like it was like Germany was complicated. You always know that there was some things that were going to happen. And yeah, just on the, the fact that they say that you're like, OK, this. No, that does not sound good. But I just love that for her, that she met a man that loves her so much that he's ready to do that. Like, this is insane. And obviously, when I talk about, you know, people not really loving Germany and German people, I really am talking about that time. You know, I'm not talking about now. Do not feel offended if like if you're German or if you live in Germany, because well, that's not my intention. And I'm only just related what they say on the show and related about like history. I have nothing against you. I really do love you. I just relate to like, well, history things anyway. And to end on Edith. I quite like this scene between Robert and Mary because I think that the fact that he asked Mary about Edith, I think it's interesting because he could have spoken about Edith to anybody else. But he knows that if he speaks about Edith to his wife, it's a lost cause because he will know that she will say that it's good for her. Like if, it is, if Edith is happy, I'm happy, you know, all that. So I don't know why I feel like Maybe he talks about it with Mary because at that moment he's with Mary and he doesn't know what to say to her because she's like completely depressed. But I just like that Mary at that moment, she's not even like mean about Edith. She actually even says something positive because, you know, they talk about the fact that she's always in London to see Michael Gregson. He's like, oh, and said, what do you think about him? And she says, you know, well, he's not bad looking and he's still alive. So, you know, it's two points ahead of uh, most of men of our generation, which is very cynical thing to say um but quite true which again is sad after the war and the fact that you know matthew is dead but i just love the fact that at that moment she is not she doesn't something bad about edith she it's even almost positive like you know if she likes him like she can do whatever she wants and well obviously then she says that matthew spoke a bit with michael gregson and then well we're going to talk about everything that happens about mary at the end of this episode but yeah so for Edith, I'm happy for her that she has someone like Gregson, you know. But at the same time, since the beginning of this story, you know this is not going to end well. And now that we have almost a solution, you know, he's going to go to Germany, he became a German citizen, and then divorce his wife and all that. I'm sorry, but like this sounds so bad. So uh, I'm so sorry for Edith, truly, because I feel like she's been through a lot. Maybe not as much as Mary, but she never really had a true happy moment. Like Mary had true happiness now where she's broken because Matthew is dead. But like, I feel like she didn't have that, you know, and I feel so sorry for her. But yeah, we're going to follow that story. Um, yeah, because obviously, well, it's, it's not the end, you know, bananas. Now let's switch and talk about Mosley. You know how much I love Mosley and it's awful because what happens to him is really sad but Kevin Dore is just so incredible that a part of you kind of laugh because like the way he acts is so funny but like so sweet and sad at the same time. <laughs> yeah, 
Because obviously, mostly now that Matthew is dead, he has no job anymore. And it's quite sad because, like, his father would say to him, that's not how it was supposed to go, you know. Like, Moses was supposed to die before Matthew. So, yeah, at the beginning of the episode, Violet, she is with Moses' father. And actually, they are in um, the cemetery. So that's when he says that it's been six months since Matthew's death because they are, like, putting the stone on the grave. And so they talk a bit about Mosley, obviously, but Mosley hasn't found a job. And Mosley talks about it with Carson, and Carson says that he can't stay here. But it's sad because Mosley, he tries, you know, he said that he put a job advertisement, but he didn't get answers, and so he doesn't have a job. And so Mosley, actually, he went to see Isabel when Violet was there, because he wanted to ask her if he could have his old job back, so being a butler. But Isabel, uh, she's like, well, I have no need of a butler. <laughs> like, I'm an old woman. I eat off a tray. Like, I'm just living alone. And I just saw how violent it's like, well, not because you're an old widow. That means you have to eat off a tray. <laughs> but you see, like, you see that she feels a bit um sad like, because we know Isabel, she likes to help people. But like, she... Yeah, I have no use of you, so that would not be, like, helpful for you. And, well, Violet, obviously, uh, she quite likes Mosley. We, I think we get it. And then Violet, she comes up with Mosley's dad. I just love this scene when her car arrives in front of Mosley's father's house. And it's like, oh, my God, like, the Dowager Countess of Grantham just in front of my house. And she says that she's having a Lady Shackleton for luncheon, and she wants Mosley to come. To help sell because this lady we need a new butler and she wants like to sell mostly to her and at first mostly he's like i'm not sure you know like i don't know like he thinks he he wants more you know of life but he also says something that i think was quite uh sweet when he says that matthew was a nice man you know despite him at the beginning not wanting mostly he was a nice man, so it's not just sad that he died because, you know, now he lost his job. It's sad because he was a nice man and he did not, he did not deserve it. And, yeah, it's, again, very sad. But it's his father who said, well, you will go to this luncheon because you have no other plan, so go. And so mostly, he's at the Tower House and we meet Violet's butler, Spratt. And I love Mr. Spratt. I mean... He's another, I think, very funny character, but not like Mosley. It's two different characters, but he's so funny. Like the way he speaks, it's just, I just love Sprite because he literally makes me laugh. And what I would see Sprite is like, what are you doing here? Like I can serve luncheon for three ladies. Like I don't need you. And Mosley, he understood the plan. He said, oh, she's Lady Grantham. She just wants to, she wants to sell me to Lady Shackleton. And he's like, yeah, yeah. Actually, you want my job? And Moosley's like, no. And well, the luncheon is not a success because Spratt is literally spoiling it. He does everything he can so that Moosley appear like not suited for the job. Like because of, of Spratt, Moosley uh, appear like he doesn't know what he's doing. And so obviously Lady Shackleton, she's like, oh, it's so nice of you to let him to let him have a go at it when he literally have served house I mean he's been the butler he's been the valet like and you see how Violet she is annoyed by that 
Like, she's not stupid. I think she knows it's Pratt's doing. She knows him. So, obviously, the luncheon, <laughs> well, it's a fail. I just love when Mosley, he comes back to Downton in the servant's hall and Anna, because she's the sweetest and she's friendly, she asks him how he's doing and she says that um, Edith has told her about the luncheon. And he's like, well, was it before or after? And she says, well, before, like, oh, let's just leave it to that. <laughs> um, but I feel very sorry for him because, I mean, who doesn't love Mosley? Please tell me, because he's just so like endearing no he's so nice he tries his best he's just he's just unlucky and yeah so now he still he still doesn't have a job so it's sad and yeah but a part of us are quite happy because if Mosley would have become Lady Shackleton's butler we would not see him anymore so it's quite nice because now we know we're going to see him again you know and yeah but I just love Mosley now, tiny, tiny storyline, but because it involves Mrs. Papmore, I had to talk about it because Mrs. Papmore is one of my favorite characters. So, yeah, and it's technically, well, it's Mrs. Papmore versus new technology <laughs> because in the kitchen, they receive a mixer. And so apparently it's uh, Cora who wanted it. And so Edith ordered it and, well, it arrived. And you see that the girls, they are excited and obviously because they're young and I mean it's good for them because I mean, I don't know how they did back then I mean today I don't think we can even imagine like to cook or bake without a mixer but like the strength you must have in your arms like anyway but so Miss Papmore she is a bit afraid with all this this new technology and she's right when she says you know with all this she can just have a girl from the village to run the kitchen or she can do it by herself because you don't need to really know how to cook because the new devices do the thing for you well you know even if you have the right tools if you don't know how to cook you don't know how to cook so rest assured mrs papmore we like a great cook it's always like best than <laughs> an average one <laughs> But Daisy, she wants to try it. And so she tries it and she makes uh, a mousse for like tonight's dinner. And you see Mrs. Papmore's like, well, I better have something, you know, prepared in case this turns out wrong. And then during dinner, well, the dinner <laughs> didn't go very well. But I just saw when to try to change the subject of conversation, Violet says that the mousse is delicious. And so I find it quite funny because the mousse was made by Daisy and the mixer. So the mixer works, you know. And at the end of the episode, Mrs. is at the moment she hears a noise. And it's Mrs. Papmore who in the kitchen, she wanted to try the mixer, but she broke a bowl. Like she must have done something wrong. And she wants to clean everything. Like she doesn't want the girls to know that she can't use the mixer because she says, well, I can't use it. So that makes me part of the past and then part of the future, which I think it's like quite sad. Like I think about her things that now that you have all this new technology that they will like shut her out and, you know, put her in the bin because she's old and she can't like use a mixer when I mean, come on. They will never do that. Like Robert, he's such a fan of Mrs. Patmore. You know, like Robert will never, ever let go of Mrs. Patmore. Like he's a fan, like he adores her. But I think it's quite sad that she thinks that. But yeah, and I just love, you know, Mrs. Patmore and Mrs. Hughes. And so Mrs. Hughes said, well, you know, I'm going to help you clean it. You know, like, and she says, I think one of the most relatable thing ever. She says, who needs sleep? This is so relatable. Like, yeah. 
But now to stay on the same theme, because we talked about Miss Patmore and we talked a bit about Daisy, let's talk about our love square. I know you missed it. <laughs> Jimmy, Ivy, Alfred and Daisy. This has been going on for so long now. Like, really? Like, what? <laughs> I just can't understand why this is still going on. I mean, I, now I can't remember when it started, but it started like early last season. Yeah, I think, yeah. So it's, anyway, so like I said, we're in February 1922 because, well, we know it's February because it's Valentine's Day. Yay. And so everyone's got a letter and I just love it because you see everyone having their letter, being happy. I just love Anna and Bates, you know, they're sitting in front of each other and they look at each other like, obviously they had a card, like they sent a card to uh, like each other but it's just so very sweet but you see Daisy at first like I'm the only one who has got nothing but then she did got a card so she's happy and just Anna and Bates okay technically they're not in a love square but Anna she's a bit involved in this and so I just want to talk about like them because they're so cute and I hate it because we know Julian every time he's like let's just make them really 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 happy before breaking them and yeah <laughs> and if you have seen the show you know what I'm talking about bananas but let's just enjoy them being really really happy like they're so sweet you know like oh I've received a card oh me too it was not signed we both have admirers like this is so sweet like why I mean we know that he has to break heart at the moment because otherwise there's no like storylines and no plots but like I just like, you know, them being happy, just so sweet. But yeah, then they discuss actually the kitchen Daisy and Ivy who send like their cards. And obviously Ivy, she thinks Jimmy sent hers. And so she kind of asks him, but he doesn't really answer. Like, I mean, it's Jimmy. And, you know, and then she says to Daisy, I mean, if Jimmy has sent my cards, then who sent yours? So she thinks that Jimmy sent her a card and Alfred sent one to Daisy so Daisy obviously she's happy but she wants to know she wants to know because she wants to be sure so she asked Jimmy if he wrote a card to Ivy and he says he doesn't want to say it obviously we know that he didn't send it to Ivy but he said that he wrote one to Lady Anstruther like you know the woman he used to work with like on Valentine's Day his relationship with this Lady Anstruther is weird it's not the first time that he talks about her like when he talks about her you think like she was not his employer like yeah it's weird and well i mean we are going to meet this lady Anstruther bananas but so about the card we still don't know but jimmy what well, jimmy he likes to flirt and he likes to flirt with ivy because he knows that alfred likes ivy and he's just a bit of an asshole really so he just likes to tease and because he knows that Ivy is interested in him, he's just playing with her. And like I said, being an asshole. And Jimmy, so he invites Ivy to the pub. They go to the pub and then, well, they come back and she's drunk. Alfred, he is angry. I mean, he wants to know why she is drunk. Like he, even Ivy says that Jimmy kept buying the drink. So it's like, why, what were you expecting? Like, you know, what were you trying to do? Because when you hear it like that, it doesn't sound like he had good intentions, you know. And Anna is actually still there. So she is taking care of Ivy. 
And so the next day, again, based on Anna being so sweet, Anna, she <laughs> asks Ivy how she is and you see that she's not feeling very well. And I just love because Anna, she says, well, I suppose we were all young once. And Beatty says, yes, but you've stayed young. That's the difference. Like, <laughs> oh, I just hate it because... Oh, I'm just not ready for what's going to happen to them. So I'm just going to like take this image in my head and like print it in my memory to to keep the memory of them being happy in my mind when we will arrive to the moments of heartbreak. And yeah, <laughs> so let's just enjoy Banna being happy. Okay. And so Daisy, she talks about this letter with Mrs. Papmore because she's like, I think Alfred must have seen mine. And Mrs. Papmore, she asks Alfred to say the truth. And Alfred says that he said one to Ivy and that Jimmy, he didn't say one, well, not to someone at Downton. So Daisy, she's like, who sent mine? You know, okay, it's not Alfred, but who sent it? And Mrs. Papmore, she said that she's the one who sent Daisy a card because she thought, you know, Alfred will send one to Ivy and she wanted Daisy to have nothing to open if he did, which I think is so sweet of her. Like, she's just so thoughtful, like, Oh no, like you see, she treats Daisy like she's her daughter. And this is so sweet. And she says, well, I'm sorry if I did wrong. And I just love when Daisy says, well, no, maybe I'll have like a follower, but at least I've got a friend. I just love it. I love their relationship. I think it's so sweet. And I just love the fact that Mrs. Pamela thought about this. You know, she says she, she will be sad if she has nothing to open. So I'm going to write her a letter. This is so sweet. Like, oh, yeah, I like it. And this is not the end of this love square. Obviously not and to be honest it's a bit annoying right now you know because they're all in love with the wrong people mrs Papmore said it and she's right but yeah not the end <laughs> bananas Ooh, now let's talk about miss o'brien or the fact that miss o'brien is gone remember last episode well remember it was a long time ago but <laughs> Last episode, you know, we had Miss O'Brien being very friendly with Lady Flincher, saying that she went to travel. And then you see a bit of a, of a feud between her and Susan's maid and all that. And well, actually, the story is that Siobhan Finneran, so the actress who plays Miss O'Brien, wanted to leave the show. You no, know, they, all, they all had their contract until season three and then they choose if they want to renew it or not. And Jessica Brown Finley, so Sybil, Dan Stevens, Matthew, and Siobhan Finneran, Miss O'Brien, decided to not renew their contract. And the difference, uh, because, you know, Miss O'Brien is a servant, you can just make her leave, you know. And yeah, because unlike the one from upstairs, to have a reason for them to definitely leave the show, it's like, well, you are going to die. <laughs> so, but I just love, I'm not gonna, I really, really love this because, again, I don't know if I told you that last episode because I recorded that a long time ago. But Sybil's death, I really thought it was scripted. Like, I didn't thought it was made because Jessica Brown finally wanted to leave the show. I didn't know that. And I really thought that they just decided to do it because it could be a nice, like, storyline. Sad, but very, very interesting one. But when Matthew died, it was made so quickly that I knew, I think, oh, maybe he wanted to leave the show because, like, two deaths like that, uh, you know, in one season, plus a death on Christmas Day. Like, it felt like it was, like, they had no choice. But 
Miss O'Brien thought again that it was, you know, made to like, yeah, to have a different storyline, you know. And so actually it was because Siobhan Finneran decided to not renew her contract. So I feel like this show is really good at Y's student. Like we still have to give him that to like work with what he has uh, because even when, you know, an actor wanted to leave, you know, I told you like Penelope Wheaton in season two wanted to um, do a play. So he just wrote her character out for like a couple of episodes so she can like do the rehearsals and stuff i think because when you see it it's just you, you don't know it like i don't know if you know what i mean like it feels like uh it's what you always want to like do you know what i mean so yeah it's very smooth like i can't like disagree with him on that or oh, have a lot of things to discuss about some of his choices of uh, storylines but not that you know he's still a good writer i mean come on <laughs> But so, you know, when the episode starts, you just see the castle at night. I just love how it's made. It's just, I love how it's made. So you see the castle at night and you see there's just one room that is lit. You see someone who is packing and you see letters. Like, I think one is addressed to her ladyship, I think, and the other to, I think, Mrs. Hughes. You see someone's getting down the stairs and leaving. Next day, Anna is in an empty room, but you don't know whose room it is. And she finds the letter. And then she's with Mr. Carson and Mrs. Hughes and they're literally panicking. And says, well, they have to tell that to her ladyship. And Mrs. Hughes says that she would dress her. So you're like, okay, what is happening? So obviously, if Mrs. Hughes has to dress, Cora, you know, okay, Mr. Brian is gone. But they, don't, they do not say it. And I love it when they don't say it right away. So if you like, well, obviously, if you're a fan, because I mean, it's like season four, you, you must have watched like the other season. So you already know, you're like, oh my God, O'Brien is gone. I don't know if you know what I mean. Like, I think it's so great when you know it before they tell you. And so, well, so Miss Yu says that she would dress Cora like today, but someone else will have to do it because she doesn't have time to do that every day. And I said, well, I can do it because Aina, she is the sweetest. Aina, she could dress 50 person in this house and still be like so perfect at her job. Like, I don't know how she would do it. Like, yeah. I mean, she used to dress like the three girls and she, when she was like a lady's maid, she was still dress like Edith and stuff like she is great okay Anna she's the sweetest I already said it like she is great always here to have like we love Anna and so then Anna where well, she comes up the stairs and she meets Thomas in the street in the stairs and it's like what is happening she says what well, Mr. Brian is gone it's like what so obviously then he says that to Jimmy Ivy hears it then she says that to another maid then everyone knows and I just love how it's made, you know. It's so great. Like, you go through the house again. It's like, you know, if you missed the house or if you don't really remember how it was, you go um, through the house again. And so everyone, like, literally everyone is saying to everyone they meet, like, Miss O'Brien is gone. So then everyone knows. And, oh my God, I just love this scene. Cobert in Cora's bedroom. First, obviously, Cobert. <laughs> I like it. Cobert in the bedroom. I love it. But this one, I just love it because they're together in bed, you know, um, in their pajamas. And Mrs. Hughes is here. And so Mrs. Hughes, she has obviously Cora's like breakfast tray. But she gives like a, a teacup to Robert too, which I think is very sweet. But I just love it because remember, season one, he said to Mary that they pretend they sleep apart. And well, we have been through that a lot through, you know, the past seasons, you know, when Cora was ill in season two, he says, I can sleep in the dressing room. And then in season three, when she was angry with him about Sybil, but she didn't want him in her room. So he slept in his dressing room. So 
everyone knows that they like don't sleep sleep apart. But I just have it that now it's like we don't even try to pretend like we're literally in bed together casually having a cup of tea. Like, and I think what makes I don't know why, but it's Robert's expression through the whole scene. He's like, I mean, my wife's bed. Yeah, no, absolutely no problem. Like this is casual. Like this is. I don't know. It's just his expression. Like he's so like I'm comfortable, <laughs> and a part of him is like, oh, Brian's gone. Best news of the day. I mean, it's complicated because now they have to find a new ladies' mate. You know, but he's like, oh my god, yes, she's gone. And can we just acknowledge the fact because I don't remember actually if we had that before, but Robert must have had new pajamas because it feels like he cannot button them really up until like his throat because back then. Every time he would put his pajama on, it was always buttoned to the last button. So very, well, not very nice to sleep in. When you sleep, you want to be comfortable. That you didn't really feel comfortable. But now it's like it's really V-neck. Like you can see a bit more skin, and I don't even know if you can actually button them until like you know up. You know, I mean, I'm not complaining, and I'm sure Cora does not complain at all. But I just love that. You know, we have a new style of pajamas. So yeah, so Mrs. Uses there and she has given uh, Cora the letter and Cora she is shocked first Robert's like I can't believe it I mean it's so Brian that looks like Brian but what Cora is more shocked about is not that O'Brien just left without telling her anything is that Susan has done this to her and I'm like yeah I mean oh I can't stand Susan Flincher because do you remember how Cora was so nice to her when she was literally a bitch sorry for the bad word but I don't have another word like you know the whole story with Mary like she was already a, uh, I mean couldn't stand her but like she took her defense with Rose like she says you know I know how it feels like to try to like raise a dollar with new ideas and all that like then Susan she literally stabbed her back by stealing her maid we are not really sad about it because O'Brien I mean Crash, she deserved way better than O'Brien as a lady's maid, okay? She deserves some, someone like Anna, okay? She deserves to have a relationship with her lady's maid like Anna has with Mary. But, I mean, you don't do that. Like, don't steal your cousin's... Well, it's not your cousin, but, like, the lady's maid of the wife of your cousin. Like, you don't do that. Like, yeah, and you see that she's hurt. Like, Crash, she's hurt by what happened. Like, I've been nice to her and she's stealing my maid. Like, what the hell? But I just love how Robert is carrying is like, mm, yeah. Mm, she's gone I think deep down he is happy like he's deep down he is so happy because he couldn't stand O'Brien I mean we don't really like her I mean we like to dislike her okay O'Brien I mean I liked to dislike her and I just love how they casually have tea I mean I just this is so sweet but so Mrs. Yu says she's going to take care of Cora for now and Anna would like take care of her until they found a replacement but like yeah that's just so cute and oh my god I, I haven't said it for a while I'm gonna say it now. Isn't Cora so beautiful? Like I say it again, but like I just love this thing because I think she's so sweet and pretty. I like her eyes and I don't know. Yeah, and the two of them like oh actually I think Cora and Robert have really, really sweet scenes in season four. Don't have really like a storyline with them, but it's just really sweet scenes that is why that Pardon me, see, like, I think it's the only reason why I like season four is because they have really sweet scenes. But yeah, anyway. But so, Carson, he asked Alfred about Miss O'Brien because he thinks that maybe she must have said something to him. Um, You know, because Alfred, he is her nephew. And 
He's like, no, she hasn't said anything. And I just love it when he says, She may be my aunt, but she's a dark horse. <laughs> no one will contradict you there. Oh, Mrs. Padmore. I mean, yeah, Mrs. Padmore, she would know because she knows O'Brien for like a long time. I mean, she said it, you know, during the Spanish routine, you can work with someone for 20 years and you still don't know them. And at breakfast, you see that Edith is shocked. And I think what they're shocked about is that it's Susan who has stolen Cora's mate. Because let's be honest, no one really liked O'Brien except Cora. And yeah, and so it's disgraceful. And yeah, like <laughs> they're the same family and crush she has taken rose like the whole thing is just i don't like susan i mean you i mean you know what susan and o'brien i think they do great together really not gonna lie like they're the same they literally are the same so you know good luck to them and so then rose she enters and she says what she might have known you know because um well they talk about it and stuff and robert's like okay so you knew that this might have happened and you didn't say a thing then when Robert leaves and she's just with Tom and Edith, she says, well, I never thought she would go through with it, you know. And I feel sad for Rose because, to be honest, I would have been Rose and you have your mother that she can't really, that she can't stand, let's just be honest, say that maybe she thinks about, like, stealing Cora's maid. You think, no, you're not going to do that. Like, you don't do that, right? Like, this sounds so, like, crazy. Like, you're not going to do that, right? So I can understand her when she says, I never thought she'd go through with it because no, it's, that's not nice. You don't do that. But even like downstairs, they talk about it, you know, because this is like, she just left, you know, like that. <laughs> and then um, when they're in the library, Edith, Robert, Cora and Rose, um, Edith says that she wants to pay a visit to Isabel and Rose says, well, I might go with you just in the village. And when she's in the village, actually, Rose, she goes to the post office and says that she wants to place a job advertisement in the window. And I mean, this is very clever, you know. And so she does it. And, you know, and then the family's in the library and, say, and she says, well, I just thought it would be like easier if you can find someone, someone local. It would be like easier and quicker, you know. And she says, I do feel responsible. And I mean, her plan is great. Like, this is a clever plan. The issue is that then we see someone, you know, stopping in front of the post office. And if you haven't, like, really see who he was, then she starts talking and, you know, there is no doubt it's Edna. And Edna who says that, well, she has been training to become a lady's maid. And you know what? At that moment, I'm like, you know what? O'Brien, come back. I mean, because you've had to choose, I choose O'Brien, okay? Like, Edna, I can't. And, I mean, you remember Edna from last episode, right? I mean, like, you know, Edna who kissed Tom. Like, you remember who kept asking questions about Sybil? Like, I just, I really can't stand her. That is a reason why I don't like season four. I just can't. I prefer O'Brien, but like, yeah. I mean, I see her. I am angry. Like, I don't know. I can't, I don't want to listen to her. Like, she irritates me so much. Well, then Rose, she had answers for her advertisement. And, well, like I said, they talk about it in uh, the library when uh, Rose said that it would be quicker to find someone local, local and said that there's one that is promising. And they're going to meet her in Ripon because apparently she takes care of her aunt and she can't get away. <laughs> Obviously, she doesn't want to go at Downton to have an interview because then she will meet who? Mrs. Hughes. 
and probably Mr. Carson. And she knows that they would never let her like have the job because <laughs> no. So they have the job interview in Ripon. So there's Cora, Rose, and Edna. And Cora, she realizes that she kind of know her, like she can, like she has seen her before. And so she said that she was a maid at Downton, but like she wanted more than just being a maid. So, you know, she trained to be a lady's maid and you know that. And then she, you know, she loved Downton. It's just the work wasn't fulfilling enough. And say, oh, Mrs. Hughes wrote me a great reference. Like, oh my God. And you know why she wrote her a great reference? Because Tom asked her to like, Oh, Tom, why did you ask her to do that? Like, obviously, Cora, when she sees that on the paper, she looks perfect. And, you know, she has no ladies maid. So she's like, hey, this is perfect. And I feel like, yeah, it's perfect. But like, it's Edna. <laughs> oh, so Edna, uh, you know, she got the job. And we know this whole story about the aunt. It's false, but like. <laughs> and so Mrs. Hughes, she's with Cora. And Cora, she tells her that, you know, Edna is coming back. <laughs> and Mrs. Hughes, she's like, what? Edna Braithwaite is coming back to downtown. Cora, she sensed that there's something, but she's like, but you have, you have written her a great reference. So I thought, you know, I want to talk about it with you first. But when I saw the reference, like, oh my God, she's great. It's like, yeah, but yeah. And so in the end, Cora, she's a bit angry because she sensed that Miss Hughes doesn't want. But like, I mean, we can understand her because, well, you know, so Edna is coming back at downtown. And so then we have Mrs. Hughes with Tom and Mr. Carson talking about Edna. And she says, I know what to say because I did wrote her a good reference. And Tom is like, yeah, because I asked you to. And said, well, I'm going to tell her. I'm going to be the one to tell, you know, Lady Grantham uh, what happened and why and all that. And Carson is like, no, no. Because, I mean, Lady Grantham has lost a daughter, a son-in-law. I am not going (laughs) to let you tell her that you, like, flirted with a maid okay <laughs> well i mean it's not like robert didn't do the same too but like yeah uh you know like when he says you know i'm not gonna let her think that sybil's husband was unworthy or something like that <laughs> I'm like, oh if you knew what lord grantham did i mean you know it was worst but yeah mrs Hugh, she knows we know she knows but like yeah anyway so edna is coming back <laughs> And I mean, she is right, Mrs. Hughes, when she says, what, what did she say? Something like about a ticking bomb or something like that. Like, we know, we know that Edna being back can bring drama and not good things. We know it. And Mrs. Hughes, she senses it and we, we have the same feeling in her. So, yeah, this would not be a good idea. Bananas. Now, let's talk about a story that I love, okay? It's about Thomas and the nanny. I just love this story because I quite like Thomas and I, I think the story is quite funny. Well, it's a bit sad if you think about it, but it's a bit funny too. Anyway, let's just talk about it. So, Thomas is outside and he sees nanny with the kids and so he just stops to see them, you know, and he stops to see Sibby, who he realized that he likes because well, he really liked Sibyl. So, uh, I mean, I truly think that he generally likes her. Uh, you know, like he cares. But Nanny West is not friendly. She's like, oh, do not touch the children without my permission. It's like, uh, excuse me, what? I don't like this Nanny. You stands like, I don't know, I don't like the vibe. Like she doesn't give me good vibes, but yeah. And actually in the servants hall, they talk about this Nanny West, they talk about being a nanny. And Thomas like, I don't really like her, this Nanny West. 
And he said, you know, she tried, she tried to give me orders. <laughs> and I have to say, I mean, I just laugh because Bates has some really good lines, especially when it's about, you know, it's aimed at Thomas. He says, You mean she mistook you for a servant? But he's a servant. Don't tell him that. He'll never get over the shock. I have to say, this was very, very funny. But then, um, so it was tea time and Nanny comes to the drawing room with the kids. There's only Tom and Mary there. And you see how she speaks to Thomas. She's like, oh, can you manage? Do you need help? And you see his face like, no, thank you. I don't like you at all. <laughs> and then later, anyways, she comes across Thomas. Like, oh, can you tell Miss Patmore that I don't want the scrambled eggs for Miss Sibby's tea? And he's like, do it yourself. I'm not your servant. Like, he doesn't want to do it. You know, he doesn't like her. She's like, I, you will not give me orders and I don't want to do it. So, yeah. So he doesn't. He doesn't do it. And so then Nanny, she is a bit upset. She's like, you, I remember a staff and the orders I give you are to be obeyed. You're like, okay, I'm sorry. But like, she is scary. Like, truly scary. I don't like her. And Thomas then, he says something that is like, and why Miss B can't have an egg to her tea like why and he talks with Cora he says that he wants to tell her something about Nanny West that he doesn't have a good feeling you know he I don't know he feels like she might neglect them and so obviously Cora's like oh, excuse me what? <laughs> what, what so he tells her and what I love is at that moment we don't really know if he says that to Cora because he generally thinks maybe that Nanny West is neg neglecting the kids or if he says that because he just can't stand her and he feels like if he says that, they're going to get rid of her. But then you just see Isabel coming to downtown and Carson sees her. He's like, what are you doing here? She said, and Isabel says that she wanted to see little George, but that Nanny West didn't think it a good time. Like, it was not the good time to see George. Like she literally, like Isabel came to see her grandson and Nanny was like, no, come back at another moment. Like what? Okay, I know maybe there are rules, but like it's her grandson and she came just to see him. Like, excuse me, like to be honest, when I saw, when you see Isabel's face, I can see how disappointed she is and she's hurt. Like, why? Why? I mean, this is, yeah, anyway, we're going to talk about Isabel just after that. But like, I think I mentioned, like, okay, this nanny, I really don't like her. And obviously, Thomas said that to Cora. So Cora had to like check the women. You see her in the, like, in the corridor and she goes at the door of the nursery and she sees so nanny uh, at first she's very sweet with george so at first you see crush she has a tiny smile like oh this is sweet and then she says to like george do not let that chauffeur's daughter disturb you anymore like okay you see Cora's face like uh excuse me what <laughs> and then she says she literally says to sibby who's a child that she's a crossbreed I mean, first, it's not Sibyl's fault, like, who her parents are. And, like, excuse me, what? And it's obviously, Cora, she hears that. And you see her, she just comes into the room and she rings the bell. And anyway, she hasn't seen her. And she's like, you see, Cora, how... Actually, you see that she, you feel that she's angry. Like, she is furious. But what makes her scary is that she is so calm. First, because obviously she would stay calm because of the kids. But like, it's her nature. She is so calm. And so she says that she is living. Like, you know. And Mrs. Hugh arrives. Like, oh, what happened? And <laughs> cries like, Nanny West is living. 
you know, another one says, no, your values have no place in a civilized home. Like, I mean, that nanny is not clever. Like, she just insulted Sybil's child. Like, first, you do not insult a child. Like, who are you? Like, I mean, yeah. And yeah, and she insulted Sybil's child. Like, um, yeah. So, good riddance. And I just thought when Cora's like, I'm going to stay here until I know the children are safe. Like, I'm going to stay there. And so next day, I just love it. I just love this tiny scene. Again, it's covert, so obviously it's very sweet. I just love it because when they arrive, like, Robert's like, oh, I was fast asleep uh, when you went to bed. And when I woke up this morning, you were still sleeping. Like, you know, I just love it when he says that because there's like Thomas and Bates. So, uh, yeah, they... They stopped pretending that they were sleeping apart, okay? But I just love when then Christ like, we owe a great debt to Barrow. And Thomas is like, what, me? Me? I did something right. And even you see Betty's face like, what? <laughs> what? And so she says that, you know, Danny West is leaving and like, she's going to explain to him later. And uh, I would have loved to see that. I don't know if someone has written like a drabble on just this. I like casual conversation between Cora and Robert. and. I would love just her explaining what happened, you know, with the children to see Robert's reaction. Because we know that Robert, he wasn't like very keen on Tom. But like knowing that the nanny was insulting his granddaughter, you know, the Finian grandchild. Like, you know, we know that deep down he adores her, I'm sure. But like, yeah, I would be curious to like know his reaction. Anyway, but like then she says to Thomas, no, like that she mean it. Like, thank you. And thank him. Because imagine if she have not like caught her out and she would still be the nanny. Like, I I don't want to imagine it. And so Thomas is really proud of himself. So yeah, I knew like he was something fishy. But his reaction makes me think that he didn't know. Like, okay, I would love to hear your thoughts. I think that first he didn't like her, you know. And so there's that. Then I think he must have sensed that she was a bit weird. You know, the fact with the egg and she absolutely didn't want him to touch like the children like you know what i mean i think maybe he, he sensed that but the first reason why he talked about cora i believe for me is just that he didn't like her you know maybe he sensed that something must have been fishy but i think the first 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 intention was that he didn't like her i don't know what you think but in the end thank god he talked because he was right i don't think he would know what happened that she was literally treating CB like that but yeah and so yeah I mean I would be Cora but like oh yeah I for, I'm, I'm forever grateful because like just imagine like yeah but I just love how wait, Robert's like what so we have to find another nanny and and Barrow like we all great that to him okay and Bates like oh no <laughs> you know because Bates he tried to get rid of him and then thanks to him he's still here like yeah he can't get rid of Thomas like <laughs> Yeah, that's it. That's his fate, you know. <laughs> now let's talk about something a bit more like, well, sad. We're going to talk about Isabel, but because Isabel's storyline in this uh, episode is mixed with Mrs. Hughes and Carson and Mr. Craig, we're going to talk about all of that together. So at the beginning of the episode, Edith, uh, she's in the library with her parents and Rose and she says that she wants to see how Isabel is getting is getting on. Robert says, you know, that tell her that if she wants to come just to have some company, have dinner, see her grandson like she can, you know, like the doors are open, you know. 
Then Edith, she's with Isabel, and this scene is breaking my heart. And I love the fact that Edith wanted to see Isabel like she knew it was her idea. And she says, I would just want to see how she is getting on. Like, I like that. But it's just so heartbreaking because you see that Edith, she tries to cheer her up, but she doesn't know what to say because what do you say? What do you say to a mother that has lost her only child? And Edith said, well, you, you should come and see more of George, you know, because you were like his grandmother. And then Isabel says something so heartbreaking. She says, But you see, when your only child dies, then you're not a mother anymore. You're not anything, really. And that's what I'm trying to get used to. And you know what? This is something that I've been thinking about for years. But the fact that, you know, when children lose their parents, that orphans, like you have a name to describe them. But when parents loses their children, you don't have a name. And I think it's even worse, like when she said, when you had an only child and this child dies, you're not a parent, you know, like because Robert and Cora, they lost a daughter, but they still had two other daughters, so they're still parents. But now Isabel, if, you know, she just meets someone and said, do you have a child? She says, no, because, I mean, her child is dead. So, oh, so you're not a parent. And that's completely untrue because she was. And I think this is so heartbreaking that they didn't create a word for it and actually i'm saying that because this has been a debate for years really in france to try to find a word because so parents who have lost uh, their children they wanted to have a word to describe it so because then in society i'm nothing you know and every time someone asks me they're like oh you don't have children and you want to say well actually i did but so for society, I'm not a parent anymore, but I was a parent. Like, this is so hurtful. Like, this is awful. So it's not official, but like, I don't know really how it came and who it was. But I know that in France, they created a word to, well, you know, like, orphan is the child that has no parent. Where they create a word for parents that have lost their children. And the word is parange, which is a mix between parent and ange. So parent and angel. And yeah, it's it's not an official word at all. Like it's not in the dictionary or something. But yeah, I don't know where you live. Maybe in some other country with other country, you do have a word. I don't know. I don't think there is one in English though. But in France, there isn't one. They just made one. But I think this is so sad. And I can't help to think about what Isabel said to Mrs. Bryant, you know, when she said, you know, Matthew is my only son and he almost died. So I understand a bit about what you're going through. Like, and now she understands what they're going through. And God, this is awful. <laughs> but then back at Downton, Carson, he receives a letter. You see, he's upset about it. He throws it. Mrs. Hughes, she's intrigued because she could see that he is upset. And so she reads it. And then Mrs. Hughes, she's with, she's with Cora. I like that scene too. They talk about like Isabel and she asks actually Cora how so Mrs. Cora is getting on and Cora, she's sad for her because she says, you know, like she's a widow. She's lost her only son. Like, you know, it's awful. Um, and so Mrs. Hughes like, but no one could maybe uh, help her better than you because you have lost a child. So you know what it feels like. And Cora's like, well, I, I wonder. I'm not sure because... She said, well, that she would have died if Lady Sybil was not only child. And Mr. says, no, you would have lived on for the baby. I just love how she says that, you know, because it's true. But you see that she says that, I don't know, like, you, you feel like she has something in her mind at that moment. Mr. how she talks, how she acts, there's something in her mind. 
And then you see Mrs. Hughes at a workhouse. And she's here to see Mr. Greg. I don't know if you remember but Mr. Greg, but we saw him in the second episode of season one. He was the one that he kind of blackmailed Carson. And, you know, they like had an act together on stage to cheer for Charlie's. And apparently he has been writing letters to Carson because he has fallen into a pretty bad situation. And so Mrs. Yushi comes to see him and she said, well, she's sorry for him. And to go back to Isabel, Violet has come to see her, to see how she's getting on. So, well, you, you know, you have to take an interest in George. And Isabel's like, yeah, but I don't want to be like driving Mary mad by interfering going there you know, all the time. <laughs> and I love when Violet says, it's the job of grandmothers to interfere. I just love how, you know, they try to cheer her up and always says you have to take an interest in your grandson. Like, I don't know. Yeah, it's, yeah. And Isabel, she really breaks my heart. But then to go back to Mr. Greg Carson, he's angry at Mrs. Hughes about the letter. And Mrs. Hughes says, well, I could see that it has upset you. So I wanted to see what it was. And Mrs. Hughes, she comes to Isabel to tell her about this Mr. Greg. And she... Her idea was to bring Mr. Greg here at Crowley House. Isabel at first like, but I don't think I can. Like in my study, Miss uh, Miss Hughes says, "Yes, you can." And you realize that this has been her plan all along. You know, uh, you know, when she was talking with Cora, she already had this plan that was where she was thinking about it. And then she uh, talks about it with Carson, and she says that Mr. Greg is going to Crowley House. It's like, why? Like, why? I mean. Mrs. Crawley, she is grieving. Why are you doing that to her? And Mr. says, it's because of her grief that I'm doing it. Cassandra says, well, I don't understand you. But I do understand Mrs. Hughes. I mean, she is right. I mean, to go back into the world, she needs something to kind of distract her. You know, it's been six months and you see that obviously it's heartbreaking and it's awful. But like, if she wants to choose life, she needs to do something, you know. And that's what she wants to do to bring her back to the land of the living in a way. And because she loves to have, I mean, you know, we saw that with Ethel. And this is quite the same thing. This is the, the same cause, you know. Now, you remember when uh, Violet, she uh, looked for a cause so that Isabel would just, you know, when she, Isabel went downtown to stay as a kind of a, a convalescence home or something like that. So she tried to find a new cause for her to be interested in, you know. And this is the same you know, and I mean, she's right, Mrs. Hughes. Thanks to that, she will bring Isabel back to the world, you know, and Cassidy doesn't understand, but yeah. And so, like I said, at the moment, Isabel, she went to downtown to see George and Nanny didn't want her to. Uh, this really breaks my heart. I said it already, but I'm going to say it again. I mean, come on, she just came to see her grandson, like, ugh, uh, I mean, good riddance, this Nanny, really. And so Carson, he wants to talk to, talk to her about Mr. Grace. You don't have to do that. You know, he's going to take advantage of your, like, kindness. Like, you don't have to do that. And I love what she says. But you see, Carson, I'd almost forgotten I had either energy or kindness in me. So that's something, isn't it? I just love it because it's so true. I mean, Mrs. Hughes, she knew that. And so now, Isabel, she, she's finding herself again, in a way, so that we have her get on with life. And because we know that's what Matthew would have wanted. So, yeah, I love it. And so then Miss Yushi brings Greg to Crowley House. And, you know, at the moment she just says, you know, you really can't say, no, nonsense. No, I'm just doing what, what should be done. No, I have a room. I can take care of him. Like, yeah. And you see that she's like, I'm going to, you know, make sure he's uh, 
he's great and can you ask like the maid to prepare him a tray like i don't know, like you see the moment he arrives like she's back into her her old self again you know and you see that miss she's quite happy about it and so yeah i i like this storyline because mrs Hughes she knew exactly what isabel needed to feel a bit better or or to be in on the path of feeling better and being her old self again in a way because she can't be because matthew is dead but like i think you understand me but i hope you do so yeah i love it and now to end this episode where well, it's not gonna end right now i mean you know me i like to talk but we're going to talk about mary and before starting talking about her i wanted to give you my music of the day because it is wait it is for Mary, but it is here before Isabel, so I thought it was a nice transition because there are the ones that have lost the most. You know, Isabel has lost her only son and Mary has lost the love of her life. So it's a sad song because I couldn't put something happy. So, yeah. I am recovering The hope that I lost The part of my soul the day the ghost hold me as I fall apart, baby. Hold me here in the dark, cause the old me run just as far as I could from my heart. But I'm going back to the start. Little by little, day by day, one step at a time, shake up the devil. Oh, take back my peace of mind, tell him I love him. Yeah, take back my so that was recovering by Celine Dion and well I don't think I have a lot of explanation to do it was written by Pink if I'm correct and she recorded it not long after her husband and her brother died so that's literally the first song that came into my mind when I watched this episode and when I thought about like Mary and Isabel. So yeah, I thought it was fitting. And yeah. The beginning of the episode is so well made. So we already talked about like O'Brien leaving, but you also have at the beginning, you hear a baby crying. You see Nanny and you see already that, I mean, when you see her face, like, okay, she doesn't look very friendly you hear like the theme but like a sad like a sad version of it um you have mary in her bed and next to her you have a photo of of her and matthew at their wedding like this is everything is just to remind you yes he's dead and it's even like sadder when you remember that last season the first episode of season three is her wedding with matthew like the parallel is just heartbreaking because then she's in her room then you see her in front of the window and actually the moment when she wakes up and um she's and she goes in front of the window this is a is a parallel to the first episode of the show 
because in the first episode of the show, she is the first upstairs character that we see. And it's the same. She goes to look outside by the window and then she rings the bell and she does the same thing here. But you see her, she looks completely empty and dead, actually, even says. Like, it's not exactly like Cora was because I feel like Cora, even when she looked, you know, like her eyes, there were no light in it. She never looked so with that cold because I think she was always kind of a warm person. But Mary, because she always has this appearance of being cold, she looks even colder, you know, right now. Um, but at breakfast, Tom and Robert, they talk about something about the estate and Tom says that he wants to include Mary. But Robert, he says no. He says she has enough on her plate. But you see Tom, like, he wants to include her because first she was Matthew, Matthew's wife so it's important to him then she was in it in their plan because she's the one that's even said to Matthew you have to like take an interest in downtown like you know you have to we have to make it survive and stuff like that so he wants to include her because of that because she knew Matthew's plan you know but Robert's like no I know that and you see that Mary she's so depressed like she was well, she's still wearing black but that's not like that's not really a surprise um Isabel is wearing black too but then uh, Nanny, she's, she brings her uh, little George and she even says, oh, we're going to take uh, like a walk. Do you want to come with us? And she's like, no, I don't think so. And she says, poor little orphan. And Anna, you see that Anna, she feels sad and she tries to well, to bring her back to the world. She even says, oh, like she even had a shawl for her, but the shawl wasn't black, so Mary doesn't want it. And Anna, she says, well, she, he's not an orphan, you know. Like, he has his mother. Orphans ha- haven't. And then Mary's like, well, he's not poor when you come to that. Like, yeah, she's even colder than she used to be. Like, like I said, she feels like she has been drained from any emotions. Well, any warm emotions. Like, I don't know how to explain it. But yeah. And even in the servants hall, Anna and Bates, they talk about it. And she's like, she's the same, but she has to come out of it, you know, eventually. And Bates is right when he says, well, for uh, Master George's sake, you know, at least like, you know, for her son, she has to try to, well, welcome out of it, you know. And so Robert and Tom, they are doing things about the estate and they talk about it. They talk about the estate and they talk about the death duties. And so about the death duties, I found someone who wrote something about it, um, so there's no uh, script book for season four, five, and six. I already said it. But there's someone, I don't know if it's someone or a group of people who, I don't know who they are, if they ever listen to that. Well, uh, thank you very much for doing that. They have written the script for season four, five, and six. So I'm reading them because I like reading scripts. And in it, um, they made a comment about death duties. So I want to make research about it, but uh, like they made it for me. So that's great. But so, so the death duties is the old term for inheritance tax. And so since Matthew was the co-owner of the estate when he died, then his heirs are obliged to pay tax on the inheritance. And because the estate is big and in good shape now, thanks to Matthew and the money that he put in it, apparently the tax would be quite big. So it's a heavy financial burden. So yeah, that's it. And so Robert, he says that he doesn't want to include Mary in this. And you see that Tom, he wants Mary to be in it. She's George's guardian. So, I mean, she should be included in it, you know. 
And it's like, but she has never been a player in the game because she's only George's mother. Like, Matthew had half of the estate, okay? Now his, well, his half is belongs to George. So I have the other half. So yeah, but Mary has a part, you know, but like George has the bigger part of Matthew's part. There's a lot of part in the same sentence. And so Robert's like, well, I should manage it, you know. I don't like how he says it. I think maybe it comes from a good intention. Like, I do believe he truly feels sorry for uh, his girl his girl, and he's worried about her. But the way he says, no, I mean, I think it should be me. Like, a part of him really wants to be the king of the place again, you know? Like, yes, he was joined masters with Matthew, but you see for a time, like, he felt like, yeah, you know, it's like Cora said to him, you know, you keep saying... Downton is a dual monarchy now I never realized you didn't mean it you know like yeah so I don't know and obviously Robert is wrong I mean he what he wants is to shield Mary from the world when they have to do the exact opposite but again you know Robert he's like usually he's not right so yeah he's more wrong than right so yeah that's not a surprise you know, and then Tom says, well, that Mary loved, like, obviously Mary, she is wretched. And Tommy says, well, she loved him very much. And Robert, he says, And the price of great love is great misery when one of you dies. And you see Tom's face, like, I know. Robert's like, oh, yes, so sorry. Like, how can he be so tactless? I mean, men, um, you lost your daughter. The guy in front of you lost his wife. Like, um, excuse me, like, this already happened has happened again and you see like the difference like when Sybil died he almost wanted to get rid of Tom and Cora was going to say no he's our responsibility like he was Sybil's husband like what why are you even thinking about it you know and I can't believe that he could be so tactless to say that to completely forgot that the man next to him was in love with his with his daughter and that he lost his wife in the same almost the same way you know that Mary lost Matthew, like, yeah. And you see, that's why also you should see the difference because it's been six months that Matthew dies and Mary, like, she is completely, well, she's almost dead. And Tom, you see that he, well, obviously he was still feel sad because he was his wife, but, you know, he wasn't in the same state as Mary six months after Sybil died. Well, I don't think so. At least not for his daughter. So, yeah, I don't understand, like, Robert, how he could be this tactless, but Robert is wrong. Well, not for the you know the price of great love is great misery when one of you dies. That he's he's right. Like <laughs> like if Cora would die, he would like. I don't even think great misery would be like even the right choice of word. Like anyway, <laughs> but for you know shielding Mary from the world, like he's totally wrong. And so then Colbert in the bedroom talking about like the plot of the moment. So they talk about Mary and who is in charge of George's, George's part. And Crush is like, uh, what are you talking about? Like, Mary is George's mother and her guardian. Like, it should be her. And he's like, yeah, but, you know, shouldn't it be me? Because me and my grandson, we owe five, six of Downton, so it's better. And you see Crush is like, what? What are you talking about? And you see her face is like astonished. Like, she doesn't understand him. And it's the way he says it, you know, like, like I said, I really believe he feels very sorry for his girl, like he's very worried for her. And I think the way he's with Mary, it comes from, you know, a good intention, you know, 
he feels like shielding her from the world is a solution. It's not, but I think it comes from a good intention. But the whole thing about Downton, I feel like he wants to take control of it again. Like, I don't know. And you see, Clara's like, <laughs> like, what? And so now it's time for my French word of the day. So they say it twice. Cora said it. Tom said it. That Mary is, well, she is George's mother, but she's his guardian. And so that would be my French word of the day, guardian. And so guardian in French is tuteur or tutrice. So tutrice is the feminine version of tutor. So tutor, it's written T-U-T-E-U-R. And so tutrice, the feminine version, it's T-U-T-R-I-C-E. So yeah, so since Mary is a woman, I would say that she is la tutrice de Georges. So yeah, so guardian in French, it's tutor or tutrice or the feminine version. Yep, I know very like this is like complicated, but like, yeah, it's it's the inspiration that I have. But I just love the, the English word like guardian. I think there's something so sweet about it. I like the image, you know, like a guardian angel. Like, oh no, I like the image, you know, because tutor, tutrice, truly like, yeah, I think guardian is, I like the word. I like the image that it gives me. <laughs> and so, well, we say it was Valentine's Day, obviously. <laughs> Not the like uh, happiest day when you just lost like your Valentine. And Edith and Mary, where they meet in the stairs. And you see that Edith, she doesn't want to say something rude to Mary. Like, because, you know, she lost her husband. But Mary, it feels like Mary, she also, like, is like, I'm not going to, like, I don't have the energy to, like, being mean, you know, like, like snapping at you. So, I don't know. It's a, quite of a weird moment. And you see that Mary, her dress, it's a parallel to her wedding dress. Like, it feels like it's the same without the veil, you know, and the tiara. And in black. And she stops at the stairs and she looks at, like, the whole and if it's like where she remembers like moments with Matthew and and why I think at the moment she remembers like when they dance together, you know, uh, that's the moment almost when they, it's, that's when they kissed and they realized that they still loved each other, you know, when uh, the Spanish flu and Lavinia, she saw them and all that. And then in the library at tea time, Mary, she just asked Tom like, what do you do today? So he talks about the estate and just hearing that, you know, Robert is like, don't bother her with that. And you see Tom, he's like, <sighs> like he really thought at the moment that he could talk about this with Mary. And Mary's like, well, I asked. She's like, yes, but you only concentrate on feeling better. And like, how is she supposed to concentrate on feeling better if no one gives her something to concentrate on, you know? Like Tom says, she says, you, you should take an interest in something, you know, anything, just because right now you, you only... Like thinking about Matthew, like you have nothing to do, and obviously, I mean, you have to do something. I mean, how is she supposed to feel better and to try to live if she has nothing to live for? Like she only just thinks back about everything that she has lost. Like, yeah, Robert, he doesn't make sense at all. Like it's not logical, but yeah. And so Tom, he comes to see Carson, and he asks him to speak to Mary, and even Carson says, "What if I agree with you?" So I like the fact that he agrees with Tom. And Tom says, you know, it's been six months and, she, and she's no better than she was the day he died. It feels like it's true. And so she needs to, yeah, take an interest in something. Like, like Isabel, literally. And it's funny how Carson is like, I agree with you. But like when Mrs. Hughes wanted to, you know, help Isabel gain out of her grief, <laughs> he was like, I don't understand you. Like this, yeah, it's a bit contrary. 
But I mean, when it's about Mary, you know, we know Carson. And so Carson comes to Mary's room. But Mary, she's angry. It's almost like, who do you think you are to think you can dress me in this way? But she must say, well, I think the thought is as much yours than mine because maybe I forgot to like, tell you that there must be like some kind of distance between us because, you know, you're just the butler and something like that. And you see that he's very, very hurt, you know. And then I just love what he says uh, just before leaving. He says, You're letting yourself be defeated, my lady. I'm sorry if it's a lapse to say so, but someone has to. And I just love that he's the one saying that because we know he has more impact on her because it's Carson. I just love it. And he's right. He's right. And um, the fact that her father really doesn't want her to be involved in anything about the estate because first, there's because, you know, Robert thinks it's the right solution. It's not. I think she's a bit like, yeah, she's lost. She doesn't know where she belongs, I think, a bit. And so Carson, he like he was right to say that. And then during dinner, they talk about the tennis luncheon. And Violet, she says, oh, Mary could preside the luncheon, you know, because we're well, you George's mother. So, you know, that could be great. And well, Tom, obviously, he agrees with Violet. But then Mary, she's like, I mean, this is too much for her. And she leaves the room. And Robert, he's angry. He said, that's exactly what I was afraid of. I mean, you know, she's living a nightmare. We just need to, yeah, wrap her in a blanket and make her, like, shit her away from the world. And I just love how he always tries to find, like, to feel sure about him, to be confident about what he says. He has to have the approval of his mother because he was like, aren't I right, mama? And obviously, like, usually, actually, she's like, no. <laughs> um, and you see, he's angry. But then we have, I think this is part of my favorite scenes of Downton. Violet, she comes into Mary's room. She doesn't do that a lot. Like, you know, coming upstairs. And, you know, and Mary's like, oh, you're going to, you know, say how badly I acted at dinner and stuff. And Violet's like, no, because I'm not your governess. And Mary's like, yeah, and the difference is, Violet says, the difference is, I love you. Like, this is so moving. And Mary, then was like, oh, yes, of course you do. Like, I'm sorry. And and they talk about, you know, George. And, you know, Violet's like, you need to, I mean, to take interest in George. Like, and Mary says that she doesn't think she's going to be a good mother because now that Matthew is gone, she feels like all the, the kindness that she had in her and the softness, but all of this is gone because uh, Matthew is gone. And I love when Violet says, well, there's different, uh, types of good mother because obviously Violet and Cora would have been two completely different mothers and then Violet she tells her fact is you have a straightforward choice before you you must choose either death or life and I like when Mary says what do you think I should choose life and yes I think it was very moving and then when Violet comes down Robert says what well, you know um please forgive her and she's like oh I, I forgive her like I, I'm not angry with her and Robert again he says that they need to protect her from the word and Violet says no Robert it is our job to bring her back to the world and he does not agree and Violet's like well you know I can understand her but like you I don't understand you like yeah and you see he is angry I just love when that when then when he leaves to the library and Cora, she, she looks at him and she falls in with her eyes, you no, know, and she stands that he is. 
angry because again everyone is against against him and i would have loved actually um a scene after that you know because she has sensed that it's a bit like his pride has been um hurt again because yeah and he's angry because no one agrees with him again so i would have loved a scene maybe someone has written has written something and i'm not aware of it because there's so many things out there but if you did or you know something that has been written about like a scene after that like a corporate scene after that where they talk about him you know being angry that his mother does not agree with him i would have loved that that and the whole nanny situation if you want to write it please do i'd be happy to read it anyway and then you know remember i talked about a scene where robert he's with mary in the drawing room and they talk about edith and michael gregson and so then uh when she uh, starts talking about matthew you see that like she's turned at that moment like she is frozen um and robert's like wait no go to bed just before leaving she's like do you want me at the tennis luncheon tomorrow like because i have ideas like i talk with matthew and it's like no 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 you just just concentrate on feeling better and this is awful because now she's starting realizing that yes i have ideas we talked about it with matthew and so she feels like she's not wanted so wrong move robert absolutely like wrong move but he kisses her forehead like this is really sweet but yes wrong like robert you are wrong you should know it by now you should listen to the women in your family you are wrong <laughs> and then just before while well, she's starting going up the stairs when she's going down and she comes to see carson and she comes to apologize and i love it you remember the first episode she said that she always apologizes when she's in the wrong well that's true and she does it and i just love this scene because she cries in his arms and this is this is a parallel to the last episode of season one so episode seven when she cried in his arms um i'm sorry i'm a bit emotional now she cried in his arms when she just when she lost matthew you know when matthew said that like it was over you know, with the whole idea with the her mother having a baby and this whole thing you know and, and so it was the end for the two of them and now she is crying in, the, in his arms because it's definitely the end for mary and matthew because matthew is gone and this is just so emotional and i just i love carson and mary's relationship and and i love when he says no you owe that to him you know to make sure that what he did is not lost and to make sure that what he did his plan will work like you will continue to um yeah do what he planned to do for downton and i just love it you know it's um it's great i, I love this scene it's very sweet and sad and so next day it's the tenants luncheon and mary arrives and she's not dressed in black and when she arrives you feel it it's the old mary again like you feel it and it's great and robert he's astonished and tom he's so pleased and so tom he's thrilled then she you know she's around the table and she speaks with one of the tenants and you see robert and um, when he then looks at tom and tom he's so happy you see it but you see there is a tiny tiny smile on robert's face i'm telling you there's there's a teeny tiny thingy okay there's the, the like a ghost of a smile like there's something okay like yeah but i love it because yeah like mary's back like it's the moment and she like yeah she has chosen life and that's why i call it this way actually the one where they choose life because they being isabel and mary because then they both 
have chosen life and um yeah it's great yeah so robert was wrong and like he usually is i mean we're not going to lie i mean that's a fact but yeah that was a really a moving episode with some funny bits too but very moving but i'm happy that you know mary and isabel they're like back in the world they're living but we're going to follow in this whole thing about you know mary being george's guardian and who is going to take care of george's part of the estate this is uh this is going to be a strong like storyline a strong plot uh this season so we're going to follow that because robert well mm, is he happy to not be the king anymore? Uh, no, not really. Like he, I think he really thought he was going to be, and he's not, and he's not like mm, completely pleased about it. Bananas. But we still love Robert. Well, I still do, anyway. But yeah. So yeah, that's it for this episode. Uh, well, it's a bit long. I'm sorry. Uh, but hey, it's my comeback. And in case, just to let you know if like you don't follow me on social media i had new project and actually where well, they're they're out like i created a second show that i could show we talk about it and you have like a podcast version and a video version too the first episode is on downtown abbey it's different from this podcast but it's on downtown abbey and the second one is about hugh bonner's book playing under the piano so if you're interested in that it, i mean you just have to or go on like a podcast it's called shall we talk about it or on youtube it's shall we like the name of the channel or you can like it's in my social media i have put the links there anyway if you're interested and i made a short film it was a crazy stupid idea that i had and my friends actually got really um invested in it and yeah they were like oh this actually this is great and so they thought it was a great idea and so we did it and it's actually a short film that was inspired by Hugh Bonneville like it's where well, the title of the film is the girl who thought she was Hugh Bonneville so yeah anyway I made that so then when this episode we come out the short film will be out because it's planned to go out on Hugh's birthday so um yeah <laughs> anyway if you're new you see that you don't have to you absolutely don't have to I just yeah, want to let you know what i've been doing when i was not doing like shall we go through yeah but i was really happy to be back and well thank you again for your patience and i hope you're still there like if you are still there and you have been waiting for me thank you so so much and please 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 send me a message like you know um instagram twitter or tumblr like i just i would love to chat with you like if you're still interested or if you just want to talk about a plot or something you agree with me on or something like you don't agree with me on like it'd be really nice to chat um and just to know that you like it you know it helps and i know i say it a lot and every time but it does um feels great when people are like oh i like that episode or i like what you did or i agree with you or no i don't agree with you like i have this is my theory or i don't know anything really <laughs> i promise i don't bite okay <laughs> but yeah i hope you enjoyed this episode and i say again but uh, I'm, I'm really happy to be back i will try to be more like regular with uh, my posting and you know with the schedule because i want to and well i'll let you know but i will try to do my best um because christmas is coming very soon and you know days are gonna be hectic but anyway i will try to stay regular with the posting and have each episode coming out on sundays how it's well, how i planned it at the beginning and how it's supposed to be but yeah we'll see um i'll let you know yeah so well that's it for this episode i already said that <laughs> 
Um, but like I said, again, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you are doing well. And I hope you're excited to, well, go through season four with me. And yeah, so I will see you next episode to talk about episode two of season four of Downton Abbey. And until then, stay safe, take care, and don't forget. Vive la différence! Mm-hmm.